For those of you who, maybe this is your first Sunday with us in this series, uh, just to catch you up to speed, uh, we began this series with a, a declaration that we wanted to uh, attempt to come after questions that you have, uh, not just about the church in general, but Cross Point Peachtree City specifically. And so we invited uh, you guys to text in questions in week one uh, last week, which was week two. We got after a few of those questions, uh, and we're going to do the same thing this morning. Some questions have been texted in, and uh, let me just throw out this disclaimer. Uh, if your question doesn't get answered, doesn't mean it's not a good question. It just means we have time constraints. would love to meet up with you and, and bat your question around if we don't get to it um, in this context. Um, continue to send in your questions uh, this week, and we'll do this again next week. You'll see just based on the nature of the questions that I am on the hot seat this morning. Let's get after this thing. Number one. Why do I have to go to church on Sunday morning? Isn't it enough to have gospel-centered conversations with close friends throughout the week? Or if I attend my parachurch meeting during the week, why do I have to do both? I'll give you seven brief responses to that question. I promise they will be brief. Number one. To attend Sunday gatherings is to stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, at the time of the Protestant Reformation, the, the Protestant reformers had to wrestle with this question, what are the marks of a church? By what marks can we recognize a true church to exist? And the consensus among guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin was um, where God's word is rightly preached and the sacraments of baptism and communion rightly administered, there you have a true church. Both of those things, the preaching of God's word and the administering of um, baptism and communion for most churches happen in the context of the church gathering on Sunday. And so to neglect the Sunday gathering, um, you could argue, is to neglect the, the basic marks of a true church. Um, now, because some would argue, well, I can just podcast a sermon and go grab some sunbeam and ocean spray out of my, my pantry. Let me give you a few more responses to that. Number two, um, it's a biblical means of helping us to finish the race and encourage others to finish the race. Going back to our study of the book of Hebrews, um, the author of Hebrews is trying to keep this battle-inflicted congregation from walking away from Jesus. He wants us to never stop fixing our eyes on Jesus. And the author of Hebrews believes that one of the means of God's grace in continuing to see and savor Jesus Christ is the assembling of God's people. Hebrews 10.25, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. He, he writes those words to an entire congregation. As a congregation, don't neglect to gather together. So that's one thing to take into account. Secondly, I'm about to nerd out for a second, but the, the phrase meet together actually comes from the Greek word synagoge. It's where we get our word synagogue. So he's essentially saying don't cease to gather together in the synagogue. Don't cease to, to synagogue together. Our Sunday gatherings are the closest thing that we have to synagogue worship that exists um, in, in our various environments as a church. When we gather in this place, over the course of time, we're helping to point other people to the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we continue to persevere toward the finish line and others help us to do the very same thing. So that when you reach the finish line and embrace Jesus, one of the means of God's grace in you reaching the finish line will have been the quote-unquote synagoguing of God's people. Number three. It gives us a heavy dose of the image and fragrance of Jesus. We talk about um, Romans chapter 8 all the time, that we, as God's redeemed, are being conformed to the image of the Son, of Jesus Christ. And that means that we reflect the image of Jesus to each other. 
2 Corinthians 2.15, Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And that means that we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus to each other. The Sunday gathering for most churches is the environment in which the most people being conformed to the image of Jesus come together in mass. And so we're, we're getting the image and fragrance of Christ in mass when we come together in spaces like this. Number four, I held up a three and said number four. That's My daughter does that. Um, number four, it presents us with an opportunity to discipline ourselves to respond. Well, what I mean by that is that in, in most other environments, we pursue God on our own terms. We determine what passage of scripture we're going to study, what we're going to pray, etc. We decide those things for ourselves. We sit in the driver's seat, so to, so to speak, in terms of um, how we're going to pursue God. The local church gathered is unique in that others make many of those decisions for us. And we embrace being led rather than leading out. And in that respect, God uses the Sunday gathering of the church to teach us the spiritual discipline of responding. Number five. It's an easy way to be missional. On any Sunday gathering, uh, in the context of any Sunday gathering, non-Christians are in our midst exploring the truth claims of Christianity. Um, people who have been burned by the church are exploring the church in our midst as we gather in this place. And what that means is two things. One, you, you have evangelistic opportunities within arm's reach of you at any given moment as you're in this very room. And secondly, even if you don't have a meaningful conversation with someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, or who is exploring the church yet again, your presence certainly impacts whether people will return. I mean, no one wants to hang out in a ghost town. You know what I mean? And so simply you being pleasant will cause people who are exploring to consider coming back and exploring yet again in subsequent weeks. And so if, if you find yourself longing to be a more impactful missionary and evangelist, um, gathering with the church in this place week after week is, is actually a really good step in a, in a good direction as far as that goes. It's an easy way to be missional. Number six, one of the rare environments where the manifold wisdom of God is put on display. Going back to the first week of this series, Ephesians 3.10, Paul says, it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. That word manifold means diverse, many colored, motley. Remember the 80s band, Motley Crue, um, that band's name was derived from the idea that a diverse group of misfits had come together to make music with one another. That's the church. A diverse group of misfits reconciled under the banner of the gospel coming together to sing of God's goodness, glory, and grace. The Sunday gathering of the church is one of those rare environments where the motley, many-colored wisdom of God is put on display. Many, many other experiences within Christendom um, because we pick and choose who to have them with, are oftentimes shared with people who are like us in some way, shape, or form. The Sunday gathering of the church just might be one of the best practices for eternity that we have. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So we get to practice for eternity. Look, look around this room for a second. See how many people are not like you in, in terms of different backgrounds and interests, um, different ethnicities and generations, Yet we're all united here together this morning under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Sunday gathering of the church gives us a great opportunity to put on display that, that canvas that we talked about in week one. The motley, many-colored, diverse, uh, beautiful wisdom of God. And it gives us a chance to practice for eternity. And lastly, maybe my favorite, because I like to throw down. Jesus is alive. And Sunday is a celebration of that miracle over and over again. That Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday morning. 
and, and as news spread, people gathered together to celebrate and declare, this is the Lord's day. And they had such joy in doing so that guess what? They did it the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. And we've been doing it for 2,000 years since then. The church still gathers on Sunday to have a good old-fashioned throwdown in the name of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like your birthday. The day you were born is so special to those who love you that they celebrate it every year with you. The, the beauty of the person and work of Jesus Christ is so special to those of us who love him that we celebrate it every week. It's just what we do. Another question, and based on our time, this is probably the only other one that I'll be able to get to this morning. Is church membership biblical? Why should I become a member of a local church? I'll be honest with you, there are some really terrible blogs out there that attempt to answer this question. Um, some really unwell thought of answers. Just go and Google it. Why church membership? And most of what you'll read is garbage. Um, for what it's worth, I, I was anti-church membership about 10 years ago. Um, I was a skeptic because none of the answers that I was being given actually jived with, with what I was seeing for myself in Scripture. And so th this is one of those questions that actually drove me to pick up my first systematic theology book. So I'm grateful to God for this question because it actually led to pastoral ministry for me. Um, so let me attempt to get after it really quickly. Um, to be sure, there is no explicit command in the scriptures that says thou shalt become a member of a local church. Uh, you won't find that anywhere in the Bible, but it doesn't mean that it's not a biblical principle. You won't find the explicit word Trinity or Trinitarian in the Bible, but it doesn't believe that, that the Christian church doesn't believe that there is one God existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, the scriptures don't explicitly condemn abortion. You won't find the word abortion anywhere in the Bible, but the scriptures do implicitly provide us with sufficient evidence to establish a biblical ethic of abortion. Same thing with church membership. While you won't find that phrase, church membership, anywhere in scripture, the principle summarizes certain relationships and commitments we're called to in the Bible. So I'll just give you three of those. Number one, submission to biblical leadership. Hebrews 13, 17. We'll look at this uh, a couple months from now as we finish up our series in the book of Hebrews. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13 say, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. That Without a formal formalizing of some sort, the, the words submit and lead, quote-unquote, become difficult words to take seriously. Um, biblical eldership can't functionally work without a people saying that they trust a group of leaders to lead them. Vocalizing that trust through, through church membership actually sets the stage for leaders to lead well. Um, and let me just add this. For me personally, Hebrews 13, 17, I want to know who I'm responsible for giving an account to the Lord one day. That's a big deal for me. There's a weight there that I feel as I read a verse like that. Secondly, pastoral care of the flock. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. But Paul says the Holy Spirit has made you um, overseers, overseers over a particular Ephesian flock for whom you're to pay careful attention. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter says to the elders to whom he's writing, there's a flock that is among you um, whom you are to shepherd and exercise oversight. Not that a Not that a pastor can't extend care to anyone and everyone, but there's a call to pay careful attention to a particular group of people who are under the oversight and eldership of the church. That without formalizing of some sort, there's no real way of knowing who those in your charge are. Church membership is a a vocalization of of a, uh, a person saying they want to come under the oversight of a group of elders and want to be the special focus of care by a group of elders. In other words, it's a clear way of saying, this is my flock and these are my shepherds, very simply put. Particularly in our context, you might go, well, can't we just call this gathering the the flock? Um, And I would say we are in the muddiest context on planet Earth, if you didn't know it. Welcome to the land of cultural Christendom. In our midst are true Christians, nominal Christians, atheists, and agnostics. This is, these are the muddiest waters that you've ever been a part of. Welcome to the, the Bible Belt Church. Um, and so we, we have the, the wrestling with who are, who are the sheep. Our partnership process helps us to know who understands and embraces the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a professing sheep coming under the care of particular shepherds as part of a particular flock. Lastly, you're going to love this one. Church discipline. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of, one or two, uh, of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That without a formalizing of some sort, it becomes a gray area as to who will address matters of church discipline when they progress to a point that the church is to intervene. To take something, quote, to the church assumes a, a definable group of people. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 and 13, What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. The, the very fact that removal from the church exists implies a formal sense of functioning as an insider in the first place. Paul classifies people into two categories, those inside the church and those outside the church. If there's no clear sense with uh, who is inside the church, there's no way of knowing who is in fact accountable to the extent of being removed if if need be. Now, now listen, I get it. In hearing those first two, leading and shepherding, you're probably like, okay, I can live with those. You hear that third one, church discipline, and a lot of people are like, ooh, that just sounds like a bucket of yuck. No, thank you. Um, and, And this is where and I would argue it's not a bucket of yuck. We could do an entire sermon on church discipline, and I think you'd be amazed at how poorly it's been communicated along the way. But, but this is where that first pillar that we talked about this morning, the authority of Scripture, is, is so incredibly critical. The, the, think about this. The very first sin in human history began with, did God really say? Did God really say? Eve, you can determine truth for yourself. That's how you can... Be like God. You can live a life of self-determination. Your word, your world. If we truly believe the Bible is God's word, then the answer with respect to everything within the pages of Scripture is yes, God really did say. And so I would submit to you that's the greatest pillar you've got to wrestle with in terms of, of assessing what you believe. If we truly believe the Bible is God's word, then everything in it uh, is 
to be considered with, with great weightiness. Let me just say this in closing this morning. Practically speaking, it's members, it's partners who lead our community groups and teach our kids back in that kids' wing. We're not just going to put anyone in charge of leading a community group. We're not just going to put anyone in charge of teaching our kids back there. We're not just going to give a teaching role to anyone in the church. Local church membership helps us to establish guardrails for ministry. Can I just, let me just be very candid. There are some of you that are not partners yet that I desperately want you to be because I have ideas in mind of what you could do to advance this church. We know with our partners that we're speaking a common language as it pertains to the gospel. It's members, it's partners who we gather together for vision casting and prayer several times a year. We come together to sing of God's goodness. Uh, We come together to talk about what God has done in our midst. We come together to put knees to the gospel, to ask him to do even greater things for his glory and our joy and, and good. It's members, it's partners. I don't do this greatly. I'm trying to grow in this. But it's members, partners who receive a monthly email from me asking, how can I pray for you? What can I celebrate with you? And then let me tell you about some things that are happening in the life of this church that we want you to be aware of. Um, And this is one thing that I have grown in by God's grace. Those things that you ask to be prayed for as partners, I take out when it's not blizzardy weather to those cart paths and for hours lift them up to the Lord on your behalf. Lastly, it's partners, it's members who we ask to speak into things that the eldership of the church is wrestling with. Most recently, it was the, the way by which we partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, I've got another one, that, another question I'm batting around in my mind right now, and it's probably going to turn into a survey for partners to speak into so that we can kind of wrestle with where, where to go. As I mentioned last week, our church is led by elders listening to partners. Um, if that brings up even more questions, again, I know we, we can kind of go down various rabbit trails. Um, I can't speak comprehensively to the subject matters in these questions. So if there are more questions you have, please send those in. If they have nothing to do with the questions over these last couple weeks, but you have questions about the church in general or Crosspoint Peachtree City specifically, um, please continue to text those questions in. You see the number back behind me right now up on the screen. Send those in through the week, and we'll do this one more time as we close this series next week. I hope you find this stuff helpful. Again, if we, if we don't get to your question Find me, let's meet up, let's bat around um, the question that you're wrestling with. We want to be a church that enters into your questions, your doubt, your skepticism, all of it, um, for, the, for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom, the gospel, and the church. Um, as we close this morning, um, let me just remind us uh, of a few things. One, um, community groups, uh, if you haven't filled out a card, but you're interested in a group, would love for you to do that. Um, again, you can leave that card in your chair as you leave. We'll come back behind you and collect all of those cards. At 3 o'clock this afternoon in the room, right behind the soundboard, we're going to have a How to Study Your Bible workshop. Um, you can still come to that if you haven't registered for that. We do need you to register if you plan on bringing kids. That way we know um, how many child care workers to have back in the kids' wing. If you don't have kids, whether you register or not, Come at three. We're going to dive into um, some of the principles and practices of how to di- get into the scriptures and, and get the most out of that um, by God's grace. Uh, with that being said, again, there's no unawkward way to do this. I invite you to stand um, for the benediction this morning as we close out this morning's service. The benediction is this, very simply. As you leave this place, may God work each of these core convictions that we've considered this morning deeper into the fabric of your life for his glory and your good. Go and be the church. Love you guys.